Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. involved in our community group studies uh, going through this, and I hope that you have enjoyed uh, this series. Uh, this series has really been about a real simple idea that we could learn to love like Jesus by watching Him uh, and paying attention to His life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 2 has really sort of been the key verse for us, uh, where Paul, uh, he challenges us. He says, watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That's how God has commanded us to love, to love the way that he loves. And, you know, whether you're here this morning, and I don't know where you are in your, your walk with, with Jesus, whether you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time as a follower of Jesus and you believe in him, or whether you're here this morning and that's kind of a new thing for you, or perhaps you're just interested in Jesus, I think the thing that attracts us all to Jesus at the very outset and then throughout the rest of our life is just the way that Jesus loves people. That's what is so attractive about Christ is the way that he loves people. And that's why he's been revered and remembered and respected throughout uh, the centuries by people who believed in him and who didn't believe in him. It's because of the way Jesus loved. And so through this series, we've been looking at the way that Jesus was mindful, that, that he looked at people and he saw things in them that other people did not see, that he was approachable. And the reason he was approachable is because he looked for the best in others and he brought the best out of them. And so people were drawn to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was bold in the way that he was truthful about himself and about others. And we're called to be that kind of bold and truthful and transparent as well. Uh, that's the kind of love that, that Christ has for us and that we should have for each other. And so today we're going to wrap up looking at this characteristic uh, of love being self-giving. And we think about Jesus, and we think about the way that he loves. It is a sacrificial kind of love. That's the way that God loves us. Uh, so far through the series, we've been thinking about Jesus, who is, uh, according to Christian thought, God the Son. And we start thinking about God, you know, this, this idea of there being this trinity, these these three entities that are actually just one entity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, some people go, well, what's the big deal with that? Why does it matter? And the answer is, is real simple. It's that within God, within the Trinity, there is a perfection of love, the love that they share in the community of themselves, of, of the singular God, yet three. And I know it's kind of like blows everybody's mind, but, but I love the way that the, the Orthodox Church thinks about the Trinity when they, they talk about the Trinity, they think about the way that, you know, if you look at, look at any member of the Trinity in the New Testament, they're constantly pointing to somebody else. You know, we live in a time where the Holy Spirit is said to fill the church and fill uh, believers who, you know, have given their lives to Jesus Christ. That's sort of a promise that he's given to us. And so with the Holy Spirit, you look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, what does is, what is the Holy Spirit do? He constantly points us back to Jesus. He says, well, go look, look at Jesus. You know, do you see the Son? 
But if you look in the Gospels at Jesus, who's, what's he doing? He's constantly pointing people towards the Father. He's saying, you know, consider my Father in the way that he loves. But if you look at the Father in the New Testament, what does he do? He says, have you, have you looked at my Son? Have you considered my Son? This is the love that exists within the Trinity. And so the Orthodox Church, they've sort of said that, that Jesus is the beloved, you know, the eternally beloved Son of God, and that God is the lover, and He is the one who loves the Son, and that the Holy Spirit is the love that is shared between them. And I think that that's probably the most helpful way to think about the Trinity, just this perfection of love. And what characterizes that love? It is sacrifice. It is being self-giving. Uh, Paul will talk about this in his um, letter to the church at Philippi. Um, he'll write this. He'll say, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. In other words, he gave up all of that by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You read through the New Testament and you see very clearly that Jesus going to the cross is his choice. It is his decision of sacrifice. He, he goes to the cross willingly. Yes, he wrestles with this decision. Yes, he, you know, he has a moment there in the Garden of Gethsemane, most notably, where he struggles with it. But the choice to go to the cross was his. And why is that important? It's because he gives himself. He gives himself for us. That's the kind of love he has, self-giving. But before Jesus even had the opportunity to give his own life on the cross, it was the Father's decision to send Jesus. And, you know, you think about that, John 3, 16, this, you know, everybody holds that up at football games, and that's sort of like the definitive verse of Christianity, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And, you know, we focus to the part, you know, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, but just hover on that first part, right, that he gave his only son. You know, you think about that, especially parents. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got three kids. I've got two sons and a daughter. And there isn't one of you that I love so much that I would give up one of them for you. I'm sorry. I just don't love you that much. But God loves you that much. God loves us all that much that he gave his only son. In our staff meetings, we've been going through a book called Run with the Horses, written by Eugene Peterson. And he talks about the generosity of God's love. I wanted to read this. He, he's, here's what he says. He says, God gives. He is generous. He is lavishly generous. That is God's way. He did it with his own son, Jesus. He gave him away. He gave him to the nations. Giving is the style of the universe. Giving is woven into the fabric of existence. If we try to live by getting instead of giving, we're going against the grain. It is like trying to go against the law of gravity. The consequences, bruises, and broken bones. In fact, we do see a lot of distorted, misshapen, crippled lives among those who defy the reality that all life is given and must continue to be given to be true to its nature. Friends, this idea of giving is just, it, it is in who we are as people. Now, I know some of you, you might question that, but let's think about this just for a second. Uh, as you um, think about the best gift maybe that you've ever received uh, you know, think about that. But then also think about the best gift that you've ever given. And which do we like more? I, I, I really believe that, you know, the joy of giving, when you give that right gift that's thoughtful and, and fits the moment and fits that person, there is nothing that, that is more joy giving to us than when we give. Why is that? 
it's because that's who God is. We've been made in his image. And so whether you're here as a Christ follower or not, there is something in us that delights to give because that is who God is. And that's how we have been uh, wired. I want to spend the rest of our time together just kind of going through a list, just kind of a teaching kind of thing. Just go through this list of what Paul says we would do if we were going to be more self-giving. If we were going to be people that were, were humble and self-giving, um, he will talk about this mindset of humility. Um, what does that look like? There's like four specific practices that I want to look at that he lists here in Philippians chapter 2. So after, or right before he gives us the example of Christ, he tells us how to be this kind of person. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, as John Maxwell has wisely pointed out about this passage, he says the only reason we're told to have that mindset or that attitude is because it is within our ability to choose it. We can choose to have this mindset. So whether you came in this morning as a humble person or you came in this morning and you thought you were super humble and you're not, um, or you're super self-giving or you're not, we have the capacity to choose this. And so these things I'm going to share with you, they may be difficult, but, but they're there for us to choose. All right, so here's what I'd love to say is that, you know, if we really take this on, that our act of being selfless, that our act of being humble will inspire that in everybody else. You know, as a church, it is our goal that we would be less so that Jesus would become more in us and in our neighborhoods. And here's what I'd love to tell you, is that if we adopt each of these practices, that that will just inspire humility and self-giving and sacrifice in all of the people we meet. It will inspire it in some, but it will not in all. And, you know, the very the outset of this, I, I love some of the questions that were in the uh, community group study guide, where it talked about, you know, what are your fears of really loving like Jesus? And one of the fears that was listed, and I think this is a valid one, and I know a lot of people share this, is that I'm going to be taken advantage of. If I really love other people and care for them the way that Jesus cares for me, that people will take advantage of me. And the answer is, yes, that will likely happen. Yes, that will probably be true. But the question is, why are we doing this? You know, yes, it would be great to see everybody else make that choice, but the reason we make these choices is so that we ourselves would be more like Christ. That's the goal. So as we go through this, let's remember what the goal is. The goal is to become more like Jesus. And it starts with this real simple, don't be selfish. Selfishness is one of those things we all struggle with from the time like that we're little to the time that we die. I don't know that we ever grow completely out of being selfish. You know, kids, they will hide their toys they will, you know, lock their toys up. They will fight over them. They will, um, it, sometimes it's a scorched earth policy. They will destroy things before you could have it, you know, because it'd, it'd rather be destroyed than see it in the hands of somebody else. I mean, this, this is just kind of how kids are. It's how, unfortunately, adults are. And selfishness is one of those things we struggle with, making sure that, you know, what's mine is mine and that you don't get it. Now, the word for selfish here in that Philippians passage can also be translated strife. It's kind of a weird word. It, it describes that friction that we sometimes have in relationships. What does that friction come from? That friction comes from when I'm looking out for me and you're looking out for you and, you know, our agendas don't, don't line up and they kind of rub against each other and we've got problems. 
That's where it comes from. The selfishness, it leads to strife. This is the issue. And Paul says, if we're going to love like Jesus, we've got to just sort of start at the you know, very basic and just say, you know, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to be looking out for others. I'm not going to constantly be pushing my own agenda. It also involves this, to not be conceited. You know, a passage talks about empty conceit or vain conceit. Uh, the King James Version, it translates it real well. I like this one, vain glory. Some of you have a real problem with vain glory. Just try using that in a sentence this week. It just, something about it feels right. Vain glory. What is that? It's where we want to be known for something. We want our name to be out there. You know, I think in our society where, you know, it seems we measure, you know, how well-liked we are by the number of likes and hearts and thumbs up and emoji faces we get, you know, I think there's never been a time when this word is more re relevant to us. We want this vainglory. We want this recognition. We want this quasi-fame. And Paul says, if we're going to love like Jesus, we're not just out for our own agenda. We're not just out trying to get our name known. We're not in this just for me. Uh, this comes from pride. That's the real issue. It's pride that tries to push us to be independent from God, that, that, that says, I'm going to call my own shots. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, that's what it is. And we've got to put aside our pride, and we've got to say, you know what? I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to go ahead and, and be less selfish. I'm not going to look out for my own glory. One of my favorite quotes, I, I think it was Woodrow Wilson who said it first. He said, you can get anything done so long as you don't care who gets the credit. It's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. So the question is, are we trying to get the credit, or are we trying to get the right things done? We can't necessarily do both. You know, we, we sometimes have to just say, well, I'm in it to, to win it whether it's for myself or for somebody else. So we got to get rid of that. we got to get rid of the conceit. we got to get rid of the selfishness. And we've got to start to regard others as more important. It was a few years ago that I came into this understanding as I was looking at this word humility. Um, realized, you know, this is one of those virtues that we definitely teach in the church and even, you know, the secular world. You know, we say, you know, don't, don't be boastful or whatever. You know, you want to have some humility in your life. Um, this was not a virtue in Paul's day among, you know, the, the quote-unquote pagan world, those that did not uh, follow Jesus, the, the people that were, you know, in different idol practices and other things. Uh, the Greeks did not view humility as a positive virtue. The Romans did not view humility as a positive virtue. It was not considered something you wanted or aspired to. Humility or having a humble mind was really kind of beneath most people. It was used to describe the mindset of a slave, and you didn't aspire to be a slave, you aspired to be somebody else. You aspired to be somebody that was more important, not less important. But this idea of, of humility, it's, it's constantly being touted throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's also mentioned in the Old Testament. God has always had a heart for those that are humble. Uh, you know, sometimes people are in humble circumstances, and he'll describe how he's got a special heart for the poor and for the oppressed. God is listening to those that are humble, but those that are prideful, he doesn't have much time for. He doesn't listen to their prayers the way that he listens to the prayers of those who come with a broken and contrite spirit. Somebody that comes and says, God, I, I know that I'm not all that. You know, humility is a virtue that we have got to embrace, where we say, you know what, I'm going to regard other people as more important than ourselves. And I think a lot of this starts when we start to understand who we really are. You look at Paul's life, and you see the humility that comes out of him. 
Uh, Paul's, you know, he plants the majority of the churches. He takes Christianity global. I mean, he is an, you know, an outspoken advocate for the cause of Christ. And yet, when you start to really get to who is Paul, you start to hear things, uh, you know, like in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, where he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. He says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. You know, you get into 1 Timothy, and he'll say this. He'll say, Christ came in the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Why is it that Paul has this attitude when we could look at him and say, man, you're so accomplished? It's because Paul knows his own heart. Just the way that I know my own heart and you know your own heart. And Paul, when he looked at himself, he said, you know what? Really, the the big story here is Jesus. Really, the big story here is Jesus. And and I'm, I'm fit to serve and I want to serve. Friends, it starts with us just kind of looking at ourselves and realizing, you know what? I'm not any more important than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I might even be less important. And that's okay. This spirit of humility, this attitude of humility, it it enables us to serve and to love in a way that is selfless. And that's the next challenge, is to not look out just for our own interests. You know, we live in a society where we're told to, you know, look out for number one. We're told to look out for ourselves. You know, we're told to make sure that we have, you know, me time and all these kinds of things. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with with healthy self-care. There's nothing wrong with that. But the world isn't about me. And it's not about you, and it doesn't revolve around any one of us. It revolves around God. And so we've got to realize that, you know, we're called to look out for the interests of others. You know, when Paul says, you know, look out for the interests of other people, I I think he's talking about legitimate interests, you know, good interests that I have and that you have. You know, we just realize that we're sort of in this together, that, that we do this together, that we're here to help each other. That's why God gave us the church, is to be an encouragement to others. And so while we might get busy tending to our own responsibilities and the things that we've got on our to-do list, Paul would say, why don't you broaden that to-do list to incorporate other people, to give some of your time? You know, the problem is competition. Often we get competing interests. My interests compete with your interests. And competition in the Christian community is, is deadly. I think that's when we really have problems, when we start to compete with each other for, you know, just for our own stuff. God says, that doesn't have to be like that. Life is not the zero-sum game where if I get some, you get less. You know, often when I get some, I can share more with you. That's how this works. And he says, don't just look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. I, I get it. It's a high standard to live by. Now, as, as I've been going through this series, and I've been thinking about this in my community group, and bumping into some of you in the hallway talking about all this, I, one of the questions I, I, I hear being asked, maybe sometimes it's verbally, and sometimes it's sort of like, this subtle behind the the scene kind of question, which is like, how does this really work in the real world? Like, can I really put this into practice in the real world? Or or is it just something that we can talk about on Sunday and we try to do that maybe Saturday and Sunday, but but Monday through Friday doesn't work quite like that? Well, I think it does work. One of the books that we didn't read that long ago um, was a book called The Happiness Track by Emma Seppala. And she's put some serious research into secular workplaces. And I, to my knowledge, she's not a Christian. Um, but she's written about a lot of virtues. And that's the thing I loved about that book. It's talked about a lot of virtues that we would try to adopt in Christianity. And she's shown how you know, science and social research is showing time and time again that they actually lead to very successful workplaces and lives. 
Uh, she talks about compassion in the workplace. Normally, we don't think of, you know, a workplace or business having a lot of compassion, but, but here's what she found. Um, and again, mountains of research. She says this, that compassionate workplaces, here's what they yielded. They had higher performance and profitability. They were more productive. They had higher customer satisfaction and more employee engagement. So the more compassionate the workplace, the more profitable they were, the more productive they were, the more their customers were satisfied, and the more their employees were engaged. Now, on, you know, on anybody's metric, if you're looking at a business, profitability, productivity, engagement, and satisfaction, those are the things everybody's trying to bring up, right? And she said, how do you do that? You do that through compassion, through actually caring for other people, through putting their needs first. So I, here's what I would say. If you're in a place where you maybe influence your workplace or you would like to be a workplace influencer, um, I would say, why don't you pick up this book, The Happiness Track here. Again, this is not a Christian book. I'm not telling you this is like Jesus's book. He didn't write this. Emma Seppola wrote this. But for those of you that are saying, I'd really like to try to see what this would look like in a professional environment, I would say start here. See what that looks like. Look at the mountains, again, of research. She's like from some small school out west, like Stanford, maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. Um, she's there. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's not WKU, but it's, it's nice. Um, so she's there. She's doing this research, and she's just finding all this stuff. And this is an interesting, really good read about how you might try to put this into place. Uh, talking about humility, how about this? Humility is linked with better academic performance, better job performance, excellence in leadership. Humble people are shown to have better social relationships. They avoid deception in their social interactions because they really do know who they are. They're more willing to forgive, grateful, they're more cooperative. Uh, humble people are more generous. Humble people are more generous with their time and money. And humility is actually a distinguishing trait of many CEOs of successful organizations. Not all, I mean, let's, let's not get carried away, not all of them are that way, but many are. Why is that? Because it's an inspiring thing to follow a leader who cares. That's the kind of leader you want to follow. And so as we wrap up the series and we think about loving like that, I would just say let's, let's give it a shot. That would maybe be my number one encouragement is let's not just write this off as going, well, that's nice to talk about, but we can't do it. I think we can. I think the problem is we often just don't really give it a shot. So let's be people that are self-giving. Let's be people that are, are, are humble that are willing to sacrifice. You know, humility is one of those things that is, leads, I think, to emotional health, and it's a sign that we are open and flexible. We're adaptable. That's what humility leads us to. So what about you? What do you call to give a little bit more of as a result of this study? Maybe it's a little bit more of your time uh, in relationships. Maybe it's, maybe it's some finance. Maybe you're called to give a little bit more of that. Maybe it's your attention. Maybe it's some effort. I, I don't know. But here's what I, I find so interesting is that social research is now, you know, it's validating what Jesus told us to do 2,000 years ago. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You know, we don't believe it's true because Jesus said it. I believe Jesus said it because it was true. You know, he, he tells us true things, and we do well when we follow them. Why don't you stand? And I want to pray for us here, because this is a difficult thing to try to do. Jesus, not any one of us in this room, myself included, have lived up to our own hopes and aspirations of being humble, self-giving people, God. Often, you know, we think more about ourselves than anybody else, and we get consumed with our own agendas. And so, Jesus, for that, we just ask for your forgiveness. And God, I would ask for your grace that as we really do try to think about being people that are self-giving, being people that are humble, being people, Lord, that love the way that Jesus loves,
Would you give us the courage to do that, God? Would you give us the courage and the mindfulness this week to maybe try to be a little more generous with our time, with our resources, with our attention, God? And that, Lord, in so doing, people would see the love that you have in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again and have a blessed day.